Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, organizers are still looking for last-minute donations and volunteer manpower to make the Wreaths Across America program happen locally. Sherry Garner-Brumbaugh joins us with details. Also this morning, Giving Tuesday was a huge success for nonprofit organizations and charity drives all over the country. But if we're serious about this being the season of giving, then making meaningful connections should be something we continue to do every day. And after a contentious runoff in Georgia today, the midterm election cycle will finally be over just in time for the 2024 presidential campaign to begin. What would the founding fathers think of American politics today? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, Oxford Dictionaries are out with uh, their word of the year for 2022. Now, you remember Merriam-Webster determined that gaslighting uh, was the word of the year in 2022, right? So for Oxford Dictionary, goblin mode. (laughs) All right, that's the word of the year for 2022. The Oxford Dictionary Goblin Mode. Now, Merriam-Webster and Oxford Dictionaries uh, do this differently. Merriam-Webster goes by the number of searches for a particular term over the course of the prior year. So over the course of 2022, gaslighting was the number one most looked up word on their website. So that's how they determine Oxford dictionaries. On the other hand, um, their word of the year is chosen by the public from three different options voted on over the course of a couple of weeks. So you come up with different answers here. Uh, Goblin mode defines the term uh, as a type of behavior, which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. So that is the definition of goblin mode. They say the word of the year is a reflection of the mood of the past year and also something that has lasting cultural significance. Uh, The term first appeared on Twitter in 2009, although it was only earlier this year where the term actually went viral. So... I don't know that I've ever heard that before, goblin mode. So that one kind of caught me by surprise. But uh, in the interest of completeness, I want to make sure that we get that that out there. The word of the year, according to the Oxford Old English Dictionary. So here is uh, the big crisis story of the day. Again, as you know, every day there has to be some sort of crisis, some sort of story that we need to be worried about or fearful of uh, that will lead to the collapse of society or some such uh, catastrophe. And here is the uh, story today. It appears that the brains of teenagers are aging faster due to pandemic-related stress. This is a study published in the journal Biological Psychiatry, Global Open Science. It shows that teenagers have experienced higher levels of depression, anxiety, and fearfulness than before the COVID-19 pandemic. And that is not a surprise. We have actually talked about that on this program, uh, the impact of all of this on young people. Researchers have found now with that signs of premature aging, and this is not conjecture, this is actual medical science, They looked at MRI scans of a group of teens taken before the first year the virus spread and then at the end of the pandemic's first year, and they discovered distinct changes that point to premature aging of the brain. There you go. That is the uh, that is the latest thing that we are worried about. The pandemic has caused teenagers brains to age faster. The latest thing that we should be worried about, etc., etc., etc. Kind of interesting, though. Big travel season during the holidays, of course. And if you have traveled at all in the past couple of years, 
you have heard, no doubt, about the coming requirement for Americans to get a quote-unquote real ID. This is a highly secure uh, form of identification, usually a driver's license, that uh, has much more rigorous security standards than just going to the DMV, getting your picture taken, and they print it out on the spot and give it to you. I mean, that's kind of the historical way that the driver's licenses worked. Well, that's not the way it works anymore. Uh, If you've renewed your driver's license uh, recently, you know that uh, it's a different process now. You've got to take in a number of documents that verify your identity. You have to have those checked. They have to fill out a form. They have to send it into Columbus. Uh, They have to do a full background check, and they mail you your driver's license now. Um, That is a special kind of ID called a real ID. Well, the federal deadline to obtain that real ID uh, has now been once again extended. It has been pushed back many times. Now, the significance of this is that it's higher security. There's more uh, identity verification and, and so on. And uh, so it you've got to have a real ID in order to fly. Just a regular, ordinary driver's license is no longer going to be sufficient to get you past security at the airport. And, um, and to get into government buildings and, and things like that. But for most of it, uh, it surrounds the ability to board an airplane with just driver's license. Because if you don't have a real ID, you're going to need a passport, even to travel domestically. So anyway, this deadline has been pushed back uh, a number of times. Originally, the Real ID Act was set to take effect in 2008. (laughs) All the way back in 2008, everybody was supposed to have a Real ID or you couldn't fly. Well, some states had problems rolling this out, so they pushed it back. And then they pushed it back again and again. And then the pandemic happened and they pushed it back again. Now... They've moved it again, this time by two additional years. It will now not take effect until May of 2025. This is an announcement yesterday by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, The latest postponement, again, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So I I have to say, does this mean that it's just not safe to fly? If this is so critical to uh, air security... Um, should we really be pushing it back by nearly 20 years? I mean, by the time this actually takes effect, the security measures that were state-of-the-art in 2008 will be insufficient by the time this takes effect. I mean, this is the government for you, pushing this thing back 20 years. And you gotta wonder if the technology... By the time this takes effect, they'll have brand new technology that'll make it a moot point. You know what I mean? make sense to me by the way speaking of flying i think this was uh, kind of interesting uh the european commission is making plans to ensure that european airline passengers can stay connected while they are in the air new rule would put an end to having to put your phone in airplane mode airlines would be required now this is in europe this is not in in this country but in, in europe Airlines would be required to install 5G technology on their planes, which means um, that with the updated frequency bands used for 5G connectivity, uh, that means you would no longer have to put your phone in airplane mode so you could stream everything you would want uh, while you're in the air. Uh, You could potentially make phone calls mid-flight, which you can't do now. So, I don't know. Is that a good thing, though? I mean, I hate to be standing in line at the grocery store with somebody behind me who is, you know, talking on their phone to somebody and you're hearing half the conversation and it feels very awkward. Imagine sitting next to someone on a plane for a five, six, seven-hour flight and they're yapping away on the phone. I mean, I don't know that, uh, that that would necessarily be a good thing, but... They're looking at it in Europe, the 5G uh, revolution coming. 
Let's see here. And one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Researchers in Australia have reportedly relocated the misplaced remains of the very last Tasmanian tiger to walk the planet. Apparently, the sample was unaccounted for for decades. Now, let me go back and tell you more about the story. The preserved Tasmanian tiger. The Tasmanian tiger died in captivity in 1936. The last Tasmanian tiger died. 1936. And when the tiger died, they uh, scientists decided to save a specimen tissue um, uh, uh, from the from the tiger. So they saved this tissue uh, to preserve it, but they apparently mislabeled the jar that they put it in. (laughs) And that led to a decades-long search for the specimen. It got mislabeled, misplaced, and nobody knew what it They knew they had it, they just didn't know where. Um, Thanks to the specimen being stored carefully in a cupboard with any special preservative mixture... The remains from the last member of the species are now properly on display where they belong. They finally identified, they found and identified the uh, specimen from the last remaining Tasmanian tiger. I actually saw that story and I was a bit comforted because if you've ever done that, and we've all done that, where you have something very important and you put it somewhere for safekeeping so that you don't lose it and then you forget where you put it. And that's basically what the what the scientists did, the last Tasmanian tiger. So I feel a bit comforted to know that I'm not alone, that even the world's top scientists uh, can have that same experience of misplacing something important that they wanted to keep. Now, where did I put that Tasmanian tiger? Where did I put that? Uh, <laughs> there is something comforting about that. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. This is I'm Kate Burdett on the Ohio News Network. The measles outbreak in central Ohio continues to grow. Angela Ann with ONN's Columbus affiliate WBNS-TV has more. This week, Columbus Public Health is reporting 56 confirmed cases. Health officials have tracked exposures to five locations now. And right now, most of those patients, they say, are younger than five years old. I'm Angela Ann. As of last Thursday, there were 76 measles cases in the U.S., according to the CDC's measles tracker. The state auditor's office is investigating the city of Perrysburg in northwest Ohio. ONN's Eric Brown explains. The complaint may stem from an anonymous letter signed by the, quote, employees of the city of Perrysburg, addressed to former city councilwoman Deborah Bourne in January. The complaint levies accusations against human resources manager Kelly Chalfont, city administrator Bridget Cabot, and former law director Catherine Sandretto, who resigned last week. The allegations include Chalfont working on her own photography business on City Time, Cabot's husband benefiting from city contracts, and Sandretto treating city workers, quote, like dirt, end quote. Eric Brown, ONN News. And it's official. This year's Heisman Trophy finalists are revealed, and Ohio State's quarterback C.J. Stroud made the list again. The Heisman Trophy will be awarded Saturday night in New York City. I'm Kate Burdett on the Ohio News Network. And now to our cover story this morning. Organizers still looking for last-minute donations will certainly be welcome, but most importantly, volunteer manpower to make the Wreaths Across America program happen locally. We are joined on the line this morning by Sherry Garner-Brumbaugh, Garner Trucking, with uh, all of the details. Sherry, thanks very much for uh, taking some time for us this morning. I know this has been a, a passion for you since the very beginning how did how did you get involved and and talk about how you learned about uh, th- this program and and said you know this is something that we have to do here in our area. <laughs> well, thank you, thanks, Chris, for your time this morning, WFIN, and you guys have been great supporters of uh, this event for several years. So we are members, Garner Trucking, or we are members of the Truckload Carriers Association, and I learned 
uh, about Wreath Across America, my attending annual meetings there, where mm-hmm. my peers across this country delivered wreaths uh, to their area, coming out of Maine, the state of Maine, the uh, uh, Worcester Wreath Company uh, uh, make the wreaths every year, and we started, it'll be nine years this year, that we took a truckload of wreaths from Virginia, or from Maine to Virginia to Arlington, to the National Cemetery, and it was something I always wanted to bring back to my hometown, Hancock County, and just trying to find uh, someone to organize that, and it ended up uh, right in my household, my youngest son was uh, <laughs> uh, working on his eagle pro. He was needed an eagle project, uh-huh. and he thought he would uh, uh, bring Reese Across America to Hancock County. Kind so perfect serendipity there. Years ago. Kind yeah, of per- yeah, seven years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this has since uh, expanded to include a number of uh, cemeteries, Maple Grove and uh, St. Michael's, and there are a couple of others uh, around the area as well. Yes, last year St. Michael's uh, joined the fold. Uh, we've had in years past Benton Ridge Cemetery mm-hmm. and also Arlington Village Cemetery. New this year, we do have a new cemetery in our area, Eagle Township Cemeteries. So uh, we are um, really looking forward to including them. And I, I jumped on the website this morning, and they're a little bit short on reads. So if you go out to readsacrossamerica.org and search for Eagle Township, you will find their their link to their sponsors. They, they are looking to lay 150 reads across three township cemeteries there. So if uh, anyone has a an inclination to help out, we certainly could do that. And yeah. all and the other cemeteries, I've met goal this year. That is awesome news. Um, and yeah. that being said, uh, you can always uh, make a donation. What I think is really cool about this is there's not a there's not a a deadline per se uh, yeah. because if you make a donation and it's uh, too late to actually buy a wreath for this year. Just apply it to next year, and so the, you can you can always make a donation. You know that it will go to good use, if not for this year, uh, at the very minimum, it'll be held for next year's uh, program. Uh, absolutely, the the uh, Wooster uh, company that Wreath Cross America they offered last year a pre buy. So we've already ordered all of our locations have ordered for this year, but. Uh, they we can pre-buy for for next year. They may look at uh, when our truck gets up there, so mm-hmm. we'll have a truck going to Arlington, we'll have a truck coming back here to Hancock County. They'll know what our goals are for each of our cemeteries. And if there's some extra, ter- there are organizations that donate extra across the country. They may throw those on for the Eagle Township for this year. So, That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful they'll do that. I, I want to also mention this because I, I think it's worth pointing out. As, as you said, you'll be going to pick up the wreaths, uh, and then you're actually going to Arlington once again, and then also uh, back uh, here to uh, Hancock County to bring wreaths uh, locally. Is that right? Correct. And there are about... 75 truckloads of wreaths, mm. um, full truckloads will go into Arlington, and Garner will be one of them. And, so, that, uh, and, and, and given the expense that is well documented uh-huh. that you have uh, faced this year, uh, the past couple mm-hmm. of years especially, this is no small undertaking. And I know as you know, fuel prices go up and you know, all of that uh, becomes more and more expensive, maintenance and, and everything else continues mm-hmm. to go up. This is something that uh, it, it would be really easy to say, oh, we can't afford to do it this year, but obviously the dedication uh, is more important. Well, we're committed to it. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful way to remember our veterans that have served our country and for those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. I believe, too, that it's an opportunity across all ages, young and old, to participate, how simple and what a gesture a young person can put a wreath on a, a grave um, a gravestone and headstone and say the name and remember and ask the question you know you know especially if it's a really young person mm-hmm. why are we doing this yeah uh, what, what what's a veteran and it's the it's the the remember honor and teach and that is the vision of wreath across America and so it's it's 
it's something that we do. And, and I will tell you, Chris, that we don't go, Garner Trucking does not go to Maine every day. Right. <laughs> that right. is out of our freight line. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it is a, it is a challenge, but it's a, it's a work of, work of, um, a lot of people at Garner making it happen. Uh, labor including of, my drivers. Yeah. Labor of love. Labor you know, of love. We, we offer our, uh, veteran drivers, if there are drivers mm. amongst our fleet that are veterans, uh, we offer them our driver of the year this year is taking the, uh, bringing a load back to Hancock County. That so. is awesome. That is all kinds of awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, that also uh, allows us to uh, segue into the other part of this, as we mentioned, uh, what we really are uh, in need of or, or want to get more people involved, uh, volunteer manpower to make this program happen locally uh, for not only the laying of the wreaths, but then also after the holiday season is over, the collection right. of the leaves uh, after uh, the wreaths after all of this uh, is done. How do folks uh, volunteer and what are you asking vo- those volunteers to do? Right. So each of the cemeteries, we, we have a ceremony. Saturday, December 17th is National Wreath Across America Lane Day, mm-hmm. and that will be the day. Maple Grove and St. Mike's will be at 10 a.m. We'll have a brief ceremony. We have dignitaries invited. Our mayor, uh, Mayor Murin, is going to sing the national anthem. We have a young person uh, from... A musician from Finley High School going to play the top. We have Representative John Cross coming along with some other dignitaries. Speak briefly, and then we'll lay wreaths um, shortly thereafter. Benton Ridge uh, at 10 a.m. on December 17th, a brief ceremony. They will lay about 200 wreaths. Uh, Arlington Village Cemetery there at noon, and they uh, on the 17th, and they'll lay about 315 wreaths and in Eagle Township at 1.30. So all all the cemeteries. Now, uh, it's kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody shows up to, to eat the turkey, but when it comes <laughs> to doing the dishes, it's, uh, you, you get you get a little sparse. Yeah. So um, we usually have wonderful volunteers that come out on that day and welcome all. Uh, but cleanup day is January 21st. It's also a national cleanup day. We want to respect our cemeteries, go back, clean up those wreaths, and we dispose of them properly. So uh, come back out. It's, uh, it, it can be chilly, but button up, and I'm a believer that many hands make light work. Absolutely. And do folks need to register uh, in advance or yeah. let you know they're coming or just show up and, and say, how can I help? And that's the, the great part of it. Just show up. Just show up with uh, willing hands and and uh, you know, uh, bundled up and ready to lay wreaths. Again, the uh, the wreaths across America Day would be laying the wreaths on the seventeenth. You said December seventeenth, correct? Saturday, yep, Saturday, Saturday. seventh, December seventeenth. And then the cleanup day is January twenty first. So mark those days. On your calendar, and we have a link on our webpage for more information about the local Reads Across America campaign to uh, your Facebook page there where uh, folks can learn more and get uh, all of that pertinent information. Uh, once again, it is such a terrific program for the season, Reads Across America and Sherry Garner Brumball, Garner Trucking with us this morning. Sherry, thanks very much for taking the time and certainly happy Thank holidays you. to you and yours. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. You know, it was so heartwarming to see and hear all the stories of generosity last week for Giving Tuesday. But remember, this should not just be a one-day thing. If we mean what we say when we call this the season of giving, this is something we should continue to do. Uh, Making meaningful connections for good causes, whether it's spreading acts of kindness, supporting nonprofits, small businesses, strengthening bonds with friends and family. All different ways uh, that we can do that. Royal Winner is the communications manager for social impact at Meta. And Roy, meaningful connection is pretty much what you do in a nutshell, right? You got it. It's what we do year-round, and especially this time of year, as you said, for the season of giving. Now, we mentioned Giving Tuesday. You are actually kind of building on that with a $7 million match, it says here. Explain how this works, how to get involved. 
Every year we've done a $7 million match to encourage giving for Giving Tuesday and beyond, and the dollars just go very quickly. And we want to actually, through feedback from nonprofits, really help people sustain that support year-round and give nonprofits the support that they need to do the critical work in communities. So this year we changed things up a bit and historically matched those one-time donations for recurring monthly donations. Mm. So this giving season from now through the end of the year, we're matching up to $100 of new recurring donations made through Facebook. So when you sign up to donate to your favorite nonprofit on a monthly basis, could be $5, but up to $100 we will match at 100% on your second monthly donation. And we're already hearing from nonprofits that this has been a powerful way for them to connect meet new supporters, and really think about the long term. That is awesome. Now, you also, and I think this is interesting, you have a partnership with Upworthy where people can share stories of extraordinary connections. Tell us about this. So Upworthy is such a heartwarming place on Facebook and Instagram. I highly encourage you to follow it if you don't already. I call it sort of my dose of goodness, an infusion of goodness in my feed. Yeah. They have turned to the community to ask them to share. You know, we think we have all these ordinary moments where we connect online, whether it's in Facebook groups or with friends and family that may live far away. And these stories can actually be extraordinary. And some of the ones that we've seen surface include a story out of Portland, Oregon. There was a gentleman who, during the heat of the pan, you know, height of the pandemic, asked neighbors to support and fundraise to help people buy Christmas trees who maybe couldn't afford it during that time. Hmm. This simple Facebook post led to hundreds of trees being delivered and donated, handmade ornaments, all the fixings and decorations, and now they've become a formal nonprofit they're doing this in all 50 states, and I cannot wait to see what they do this Christmas and holiday season. You know, that is uh, just one example, but there are so many others that, and, and it seems like a recurring theme when we talk about stories of extraordinary connections. A lot of the people, the subjects of these stories don't necessarily see themselves or their stories as extraordinary. It's others that have to uh, often point it out and say, yes, this is uh, extraordinary. You should you know, go and shout this from the rooftops. You got it. And that's why Upworthy is asking folks to think about these connections that we make on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and others, and to celebrate them. So throughout December, as people share their stories, and they can do that with commenting on Upworthy's posts with the hashtag Extraordinary Connections, they're going to actually up-level and spotlight some of these throughout the month, again, to sort of bring that infusion of goodness as we all think about those ordinary ways that are actually really extraordinary that we connect. Yeah, and we can never have too many of those stories, especially this time of year. You mentioned the uh, the fundraisers, um, and as we come up on the end of the year, as you look back uh, over the course of the past year, what have been some of the most popular fundraisers? Where can people find uh, nonprofits or organizations uh, that you know kind of resonate with them that they want to donate to, want to uh, support and and help make more of these extraordinary stories. So people make donations big and small every day using our technologies, and they add up to make a real positive impact. People have raised over seven billion dollars across Facebook and Instagram. And it, this year in particular, one of the top causes was for Ukraine relief. So I think when people see something happening in the news, they, they ask, what can I do? You know, it's a moment of raising awareness, but yeah. also raising funds. So that was one of the top causes this year. And we also saw donations for gun safety, for animal protection. Even the flooding in Pakistan was a huge moment of fundraising on Instagram. Mm. So again, people turn what they see in the news into action. And it's really powerful to see the different ways people are using Instagram and stories and even reels to also fundraise in these new ways. Yeah, I, I also I think it's important to mention that there are lots and lots of local nonprofit organizations that are doing extraordinary things in our own communities as well, as well. And there is a good chance that they probably have campaigns going on uh, on your platform as well. This is the beauty of it. You're absolutely right. Small and large nonprofits alike are able to fundraise using our tools. And we want to make sure that every dollar that's raised for them gets directly into their hands. So we charge no fees. We cover all processing costs, so every dollar that gets raised for that nonprofit, whether it's the local animal shelter down the street or St. Jude Children's Hospital, 
100% of the what's raised goes directly to those organizations so they can do their critical mission. Yeah, so whether we're talking about uh, causes uh, from around the corner or around the world, uh, it's, again, we just want to emphasize so important to offer continuous support more than just one day out of the year. As important as and significant as Giving Tuesday is, to keep that going is really the uh, spirit of the season uh, as a whole. Again, uh, Royal Winner is Communication Manager for Social Impact at Meta. Where do we get more information, Roya? You can always go to facebook.com slash fundraisers or add a fundraiser directly to an Instagram post. And for Upworthy, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And I would love to hear your listeners' stories reflected in those extraordinary connections as they reflect the season and beyond. Roya Winner, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. Thanks again. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So, this is the time of year we get those office Christmas parties, and um, you know that something is going to go haywire. Something's going to go sideways. Somebody's going to behave badly. It's just what happens, right? Um, <laughs> in Traverse City, Michigan, police had to be called to break up a fight on Friday night between two 30-year-old men at a work-related holiday party. Police actually had to be called in. When cops arrived on the scene, they found a man dressed as the Grinch beating up a co-worker dressed as a reindeer. <laughs> a man dressed as a Grinch who is assaulting a co-worker dressed as a reindeer. How do they know that this was an actual fight and not, not just part of the show? I don't... <laughs> um, authorities charged the man dressed as the Grinch with assault and reported that the altercation was fueled by alcohol. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> Must have been quite the party. And... From now on, you know, every Christmas around the office, they're going to be talking about that. Hey, you remember the time when Bob got into this fight with Jim? <laughs> the Grinch beat up the reindeer. Oh, heck. <clears throat> Speaking of people behaving badly, a 27-year-old man was arrested in the early morning hours um, in St. Petersburg, Florida. A uh, 27-year-old man arrested in the early morning hours for slapping the butt of a horse who was being ridden by a mounted police officer. <laughs> he just walked up and slapped the horse's hindquarters. The man was charged with battery on a police horse after expressing shock upon learning they couldn't just walk up and smack the horse. <laughs> police say... It all happened sometime after 1.45 in the morning. I'm going to go out on a limb. The report doesn't say this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that alcohol was probably involved in that scenario as well. <laughs> Sometimes police, though, get the uh, short end of the stick. A uh, police-obsessed man in his early 20s somehow able to persuade a real police officer in New Zealand to lend him his patrol vehicle and armored vest after stealing tens of thousands of dollars and coercing another victim into a, an intimate relationship, all before getting caught. Uh, the con man was able to swindle his victims by faking his identity on the dating app Tinder, where he posed as both men and women, depending on who his target was. The skilled online charmer made a fake profile of an attractive young blonde to coerce the cop into letting him use his patrol car to install a listening device uh, for an anti-corruption case that he just made up. This was the... <laughs> and the cop said, sure, you can borrow my patrol car. What? <clears throat> the uh, con man racked up eight criminal charges... And the police officer who was tricked admitted to being embarrassed by the whole situation. Yeah, I would think so. He uh, told the court, words cannot describe what that feels like being a victim of the... 
Man, I would say I would think he's got some explaining to do to his supervisor. Now, wait, why would you let anyone borrow your police car? That's that seems like that would be a bad move if you were a cop. I don't care how convincing they are. <clears throat> wow. Um, we've heard about the microchip microchip shortage in the world, right? The global microchip shortage. You know how serious this is becoming. A woman with a fake baby bump full of hundreds of microchips was arrested in China after customs officials noticed her bump was too big to be true. She said she was like five months pregnant, and they said, no, that's that's too big of a baby bump. <laughs> Just five months. And it turned out she was hiding hundreds of microchips. Supply chain shortages have driven up the price of semiconductors to 500 times their regular cost, fueling a black market of highly valuable secondhand chips flooding the market. While China buys over 75% of the world's semiconductor supply, they only produce around 15%, which makes the smuggling even more lucrative. The chokehold on semiconductors available to Chinese consumers was intended to curb the use of the technology being potentially used to manufacture weapons or conduct sophisticated computations. <laughs> led to this big black market trying to smuggle microchips into the country. That's crazy. <clears throat> now, that's getting serious. Got to have a story out of Florida. Uh, this from Clearwater, Florida, where a man who claimed to be taking his friend's dog for a walk ended up, um, how do we say this? Assaulting the dog in an intimate way. And then, not satisfied to do just that, he proceeded to cause around $400 in damage to a nativity scene at a nearby church. This guy's in all kinds of trouble. Uh, not just on the earthly plane, either. The attack on the dog and the property damage occurred in broad daylight, where several people witnessed the mixture of bestiality and brutality. The 36-year-old, the name of Chad Mason, now faces charges of um, activity with an animal, two counts of lewd exhibition, two counts of indecent exposure, as well as criminal mischief toward a place of worship. <laughs> Very unique set of charges, you know what I mean? This is... I can see him coming before the judge. <laughs> the charge is getting read off, read off. The judge is like, well, the first time that I've had that combination of charges. I would hope it's the first time he's had that. And finally, in the uh, broken news, I love this story. Um, <laughs> they're not in Kansas anymore. Hey, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, but they are still in Tampa. The residents of Tampa, Kansas... The 100 or so residents of Tampa, Kansas, are enjoying a free four-day vacation in the Florida city of the same name, Santiago Coriada, with the Tampa, Florida Tourism Agency, visittampabay.com, says it is a gesture of goodwill for the holidays and a way to get some free publicity, not only for their Tampa, but for Tampa, Kansas as well. They partnered with Southwest Airlines and local hotels to cover airfare and lodging for the approximately 100 residents of the town of Tampa, Kansas, to send them all to Tampa, Florida for a week. Isn't that awesome? That is all kinds of awesome. There you go. Love ending things on a happy note. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good, healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. This message provided by WFIN. 
Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Yesterday, you remember we were talking about the uh, trend of spontaneous travel, uh, people just picking up and going someplace on a moment's notice. Doesn't even really matter where, just going uh, on a whim. Well, according to a new survey of 2,000 Americans who have traveled internationally, 66% say they are keen on this type of travel. They call it revenge travel in this survey. Um, That is trying to get even for all of that lockdown time now that travel is no longer restricted. So they call it revenge travel, getting revenge on the pandemic. 57% say that they want a once in a lifetime trip this year. They want to take that once in a lifetime trip uh, sometime in the coming year. The survey commissioned by Exodus Travels, also found that 80% of these revenge travelers felt that their trips were good for the soul. 77% say that their jaunts made them feel more like themselves than they have at any point over the past couple of years. In fact, and I thought this was interesting, while 35% had to deal with lost luggage at one point or another, and 31% had to deal with the hassle of canceled flights, 84% say that their trip was totally worth it, even if they even if they weren't checking off that bucket list trip. Just traveling, even with all its headaches, was worth it. So definitely interesting mindset here. And uh, even more, 85% say that they would do it again if they could. Uh, All of that wanderlust shows no signs of slowing down either. 80% say that they need to vacation in 2023 more than they ever had before. We just need it more than we ever have before. So again, more evidence of what we were talking about yesterday is uh, uh, pandemic-related spontaneous travel or revenge travel, if you prefer, is definitely a trend that we are likely to see continue into 2023 certainly good news for the travel and tourism uh, industry that was incredibly hard hit by the pandemic this is exactly what the doctor ordered so today's big news story of course is the runoff in georgia and once that is complete the midterm election cycle will finally be over once the results come in, or once the results came in from the other races a month ago, uh, and gave, gave Democrats the 50 seats they need to maintain control of the Senate. And uh, after that, some figured that the Warnock-Walker seat would become something of an afterthought. But voters have been turning out in record numbers, and there is more at stake than meets the eye. Speaking this morning with Stephen Rabb, the author of the book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, What the Founders Would Say to America, uh, to America Today. And Stephen, Republicans obviously can't k- take control of the Senate with a win in this race, but it will affect things like split leadership on committees. And of course, it would put them one seat closer to eventually possibly taking a majority in 2024. So it is not entirely inconsequential here. Well, that's right. In fact, the judicial nominations is, is part, a big, huge piece here. Right. And our ability to slow down that legislation through committees. You know, right now, we, we share committee power at a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can stop think craziness coming out of committee yeah. um, currently. With a 51-49, to your point, we're, we're not going to be in that same kind of position. So this is a, a big day. I'm actually in Georgia. In fact, I'm going to be voting at noon today. Um, after I have these conversations, and so and and I went out and tried to vote on Friday, two and a half hour wait in line wow. to to vote. So there's a lot of passion energy yeah. around this election. You know, it's going it's going to come down to get out the vote. Who is going to be, who, who has the best uh, machinery mm-hmm. to get get people out of their homes and into this rain and to the polls to vote. Now, uh, that being said, because control of the Senate is no longer in play, it has given some in the Republican Party, an excuse to distance themselves from what many see as a deeply flawed candidate. Well, I think I think flawed candidates is, a, is essentially a description for a good portion of uh, politicians these <laughs> yeah. days. So it, 
it's if if I didn't vote for flawed candidates, I don't know if I'd ever vote again. So I it, it is a fair point. Um, you know, it's it is a, a choice between two flawed candidates. I mm. think would be a better way to put it. And yeah. In fact, generally, I think moving away from a focus on personalities is a healthy thing to do. Well, you, uh, because we have we have essentially two parties that are far apart from one another, or maybe farther than than we have been since since the founding. Truly, yeah, um, and that and that means that you have two ideas for the future of this country and who we are as Americans. And to me, that means you're voting for either this set of ideas and who we're going to be as Americans, or you're voting for this set of ideas. And right. that, in the end, is what it comes down to. And that actually segues to the subject of your book on what America's founders would say if they could see what was happening to the system that they set forth. I mean, you, you point out that it's a buzzword that we have heard a lot over the past few election cycles, deeply flawed candidates. And as long as we have human beings running the government, we're always going to have flawed people running the government. But are we at a particularly unique time in history in that regard? And if so, what do we do about it? Well, it's, it's part of a cancel culture. We cancel our candidates as well, right? And it becomes a gotcha game. And it becomes a, well, back here, you said this. Oh, well, you did this and you did that. Uh, and if we get wrapped up into that personality, he said, she said type of uh, for our nominees and get focused on that. Uh, to me, we, we've lost the thread um, because it does go back to the founding principles of the country. Uh, which party is standing up for the founding of America, is pro-American, is on the side of the people, and which one is for the larger government, the, the government big and the people small um, approach? And when you look at, at legislation that we were able to stop this past year, because we were, did have a 50-50 Senate, one of them was, was H.R. 1, which was a bill literally that said that you cannot ask for voter ID as a state um, when people vote. Uh, that ballot harvesting um, is legal in all 50 states, overriding state law. Now, if we allow things like that to be passed, we're clearly defying the founding principles of our country and the principles of one person, one vote, right? And when, when we are literally saying that... that well, more... Van- Vans can come by your house and pick up groups of ballots and then take them and drop them off somewhere. That that clearly defies what we were intended to be as a country well, um, more, and the vision of our founders. More specifically, that uh, legislation would have uh, come up against a number of constitutional issues as uh, the Constitution clearly uh, puts the uh, uh, management of elections as a, a state matter, uh, not a federal matter. So a point well taken. By the way, we were talking about, as, and again, as this relates to uh, the runoff today, we were talking about what's uh, still on the line for Republicans in the Georgia runoff. Democrats have a lot at stake as well. If they can hold on to that seat, it really diminishes the stranglehold that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema have on the party. And it's interesting that dynamic that uh, kind of evolved uh, in the uh, past Congress. Well, that's right. I mean, they had one or two kind of voices of sanity in the Democrat Party who were were saying who were the ones who stopped HR one, who were the ones who stopped. Some of the over-the-top, the, the killing of the filibuster. These were the types of things that that they put the brakes on. Now they didn't and I, put enough brakes on it, but they put they at least pulled the reins back just a bit. Right, and, and that that can go away, and this can be got. Now, fortunately, we have the House, and that so in theory we're going to be able to stop things there. Um, so, but 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 in the end, we have got to be focused on this larger picture and move away from um, the personalities of any given election and focus more on uh, the principles that we stand for as a people. And I wonder if all of this speaks to, uh, as you well know, George Washington uh, warned against the dangers of party politics. And I'm wondering if all of this kind of speaks to that. I mean, again, referencing uh, the, uh, the subject of your book. Well, that's just it. And this is why I, I wrote the book, so that we would understand what George Washington believed and, and what uh, Madison believed and Jefferson. 
each of them. And so the book is written in their own words. It is a speech as if the founders came right now to America and surveyed the country and then wrote a single speech to America and said, here's what we believe mm-hmm. you all should know. And that's, that's why the book's doing well, is that people want to return to, want to understand the founding principles of our country and, and, and that education. I mean, you can only um, convince people that we should be socialists, that we should uh, toss the Constitution, things like that, if, if they are uneducated and unknowledgeable mm-hmm. about America and our founding. Yeah. And as proof that the election cycle never really ends in modern politics, there's the fact that Donald Trump has already announced his candidacy for the presidency in 2024. And his recent comments about terminating rules in the Constitution have generated some backlash. Uh, he's since tried to spin those comments. Uh, but what would the framers have said about that kind of rhetoric? Well, of course, they would be against that. I mean, you know, they fought viciously, viciously one with another um, over policy. But in the end, they agreed on the core principles, the, the principles of the Constitution. Once those were sorted out and battled, um, once, from that point forward, whenever they wanted an amendment of the Constitution, they put forward an amendment and voted on it. Mm-hmm. They didn't just override or dismiss the Constitution. Right. Uh, they they followed it and believed in it, and and actually warned against uh, the dismissing of the Constitution for political gain. So that's that's dangerous stuff. And and uh, and Trump has got to be careful that. And this is his challenge, right? Trump can be undisciplined, can shoot from the hip. Right. Uh, sometimes it works, and sometimes it uh, it just. Um, it becomes the story becomes about Trump and not about America, the principles of America and the policies we need to save this country. Yeah, and, and again, at a minimum, those comments have given cover to more mainstream Republicans to distance themselves from the former president and call for a new direction or, or new focus uh, on, on new leadership for the party moving forward. Well, I am a I am a patriotic conservative, and I want the person as a nominee who can win and will stand up for America. That's it. That's it. So whoever is going to be the person that I believe can stand up for this country, and if that is Donald Trump, then he will have my vote. And if that is Ron DeSantis, he will have my vote. So it is, to me, I am, my loyalty is not to any one individual. My mm. loyalty is to this country and to the principles upon which it was founded. And yep. Whoever is most likely to be able to stand and defend those principles um, is who is the team I'm joining as a Republican. It will definitely be a very interesting couple of years, uh, beginning from the end of today's runoff in Georgia to the uh, presidential election of 2024. No question. Again, Stephen Rabb is author of the book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, What the Founders Would Say to America Today. We've got a link up on our webpage to the book at goodmornings.net. Stephen Rabb, thanks very much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of you joining us on the program this morning. Once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, for better or worse, the Findlay Police Department wants your feedback. We have details on the annual FPD Citizen Survey and how your critique can help make the community a better and safer place. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.